and welcome to the latest episode of Jumpcast, the podcast from the award-winning team behind Jumpcut Online. My name is Sarah and I am your host for another Disney Classics special episode and I am joined, of course, by my fabulous co-host Barry. Barry, it's been a while since we spoke about a Disney film, not to the listeners, uh, of course, that will be a week uh, since they last heard one, but we took a little Christmas break, so how are you feeling? Are you excited to be back? I am. It's uh, it was it was nice to take some time off because we were we were hitting them hard as we always do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, it was nice, and it's it's uh, when we were getting back to it, it was like, uh, I don't know, it seems like effort. But then the second I started, I was like, yes, let's go. Mm. So I'm I'm quite excited. Yeah. This is this is a fun one. We're on we're on mm-hmm. number thirty five. Thirty five. Look at us go. Our first yeah. um recording of twenty twenty one. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we will be over a year soon enough um and uh it's good it's a good time i'm excited for this one it's a it's a it's a strange one kind of because it's very different from what we have been speaking about recently and it'll Mm. be uh it'll be fun to talk about yeah this film is it well we're talking about hercules just uh so people know (laughs) what film we're talking about um (laughs) but it's yeah it's a bit of a change of pace certainly from our last two films um and an interesting one, I think, as well, that I didn't come into this film until a lot later on. So I didn't really have any of the childhood nostalgia to it. I had seen it prior to, to this watch and obviously recording this episode. But yeah, it's it's one that I developed more of an affection to as I sort of got older. So I think this will be this will be a fun one to talk about. I know you have a lot of nostalgia for it um, from when you're a child. So it'd be interesting if your thoughts have changed on it at all. But um, yeah, let's let's get stuck in. So our uh, plot description for Hercules, released in 1997, um, is the son of Zeus and Hera is stripped of his immortality as an infant and must become a true hero in order to reclaim it. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a ton of history uh, or interesting stuff. That's less going to say like <laughs> this stuff isn't going to be interesting. I have it will nothing be. to say. It'll. Yeah. Um, it- well, yeah, because it's not the same kind of... I think you'll understand why when I start explaining why. There's just not a whole... There's there's not nothing. It's There's some interesting yeah. stuff, but it's, uh, it's kind of a very different approach than they've taken in these like really serious uh, films. Yeah, yeah. Compared to some of the ones that we've spoken about recently, it's not sort of like a big turnover or change in staff or a particularly different you know a change in a decade or new technology or anything like that it's kind of just disney doing doing their thing as they were pretty consistently in the 90s and continuing to churn out uh beloved beloved films so yeah take us away with uh i know you've got some stuff anyway <laughs> we joke but you've got some stuff that you can uh that you can I tell us about this film do. <laughs> right so uh, hercules came out in 1997 and at this point the disney renaissance is in full swing we're actually kind of getting close to the end of it there's only a few Mm. films to go we've kind of seen the most commercially viable films that disney has really ever made kind of going back to back to back with beating the beast aladdin and that other one the lion one the lion king i was like what's it called i should know Um, (laughs) the lion one (laughs) that that pretty that pretty big movie um and they're kind of i think we've noticed that in the last couple movies they've gotten really serious uh, mm-hmm. And you kind of, we had, we, Sirius has kind of been a theme of the Disney Renaissance. We've had big movies, but we've also had really laid back, relaxed, more comedic approaches like Aladdin. Uh, but, you know, Pocahontas and Hunchback are two dark, especially Hunchback is really dark, really heavy, really serious, kind of like prestige pictures almost. Um, so 
Disney was kind of keen, and when I say kind of, I mean very keen, on, on a sort of change in that. And they could kind of see it coming in the pipeline because discussions of Hercules came out or around 1992, basically when Aladdin had wrapped. Um, and Ron Clements and John Musker, who directed Aladdin, um, fresh off another huge success, you know, they made The Little Mermaid and Aladdin, two of the most successful Disney movies there are. Uh, and they were re- they were really keen to re- revisit um, their pirate in space idea, which we talked about a while ago. Um, they've been wanting to make uh, a movie kind of inspired by Treasure Island, uh, but with sci-fi and in space. We know now uh, that that movie is Treasure Planet, which comes out uh, in 2002, I believe, maybe 2003. Um, but not yet. And they, they, they've been pitching it basically anytime they had the opportunity, and Jeffrey Katzenberg would continuously reject it. Uh, and he did so again this time. Again, we talked last time about how Katzenberg is now gone from the studio, but in the initial development of Hercules, he was still very much there. Um, he did, however, promise Clements and Musker, because you know, he knows that these guys can make very successful movies, that if they make another commercially viable movie, he would indeed greenlight all their piratey dreams uh, and they could go <laughs> off and make a treasure planet. And the idea of being commercially viable is really key here. And and this is one of the few times, or really the first time, that Disney was really, really keen and kind of hammering this idea home from the executives to the animators and the people involved making the movie that they really wanted this film to make money. And not just through the film, but they wanted a lot of merchandising and they wanted um, at least one like top 40 hit song uh, and the people making the film were really conscious of this, and, and you can kind of see there's actually some jokes about um, marketing and, and advertising in the Zero to Hero song, and some of Herc's merch in the film actually becomes like kind of a plot point. So I think that was all quite tongue-in-cheek, and people were kind of frustrated by that because, you know, this whole time and forever since the beginning with Walt Disney, it was all about um, artistic integrity and saying, you know, whatever it takes to make the best story possible and, and to really push it and spend as much money as you want, you know, we'll worry about that later. That didn't always work for them, but it was the approach they took. Um, and now a very different approach and kind of saying, look, we're, we're making a lot of money, but we've noticed that these, maybe these films aren't going to make as much money as we go. So we need something that's a sure hit, um, less serious, more fun, family friendly with lots of opportunities to sell action figures and toys and all sorts of stuff. Personally, I have, had i don't think i have it anymore a lot of hercules merchandise but we, we can talk about that after because uh, there was a lot of it mm-hmm. um and hercules is technically based <laughs> on on greek myths and greek gods uh but ultimately really has no resemblance to the original greek um mythology and we talked about this kind of a lot of how they'll pick up source material and then basically abandon it entirely uh they kind of like the idea maybe of some characters and then just kind of took it thinking of Stuff like Fox and the Hound, which is extremely depressing as a book, uh, and they basically ignored the whole story and, and did what they wanted with it. Uh, and there's a number of other examples we've talked about where they take significant creative liberties, um, certainly in the history of Pocahontas, um, and certainly in the um, Hunchback of Notre Dame as well. And this was a huge project. We've kind of talked about, we haven't talked about too much about numbers of the sheer amount of people involved, Uh, but a crew of over 700 artists, animators, and technicians worked on Hercules in California uh, and the French studio as well. We talked about how um, Disney has some offshoot studios around the world that would typically do uh, the TV series, but would be involved in some of the films as well. So the French studio in in Paris provided almost 10 minutes of the film as well. So even more people. and compare that with something like The Jungle Book way back when 
really a handful of animators, talking like four or five people, were responsible for animating pretty much the whole movie. Um, so to go from a few people to 700 is is no is no joke. That is a huge <laughs> transition. Uh, and even at the beginning of the Renaissance, you know, you're talking maybe like two, three hundred people involved in a film. And then really, as they go and have so much more money, they can expand, expand and expand. And obviously, these films take more than a few days to make. You know, you can't you need to be working on multiple at the same time. So you need even more people uh, than that. So really kind of speaks to just how much Disney is growing at this period. Um, and especially how much growth occurred just in the Renaissance. But think about that. I mean, Jungle Book is exactly 30 years before Hercules, and going from maybe like 10 people to 700 is uh, is no small feat, and really <laughs> just shows you how much this company has grown. Uh, and this was one of the very few times Disney, when creating a film, would look outside of the studio and bring in someone who really has no involvement with Disney to come in and kind of shape the the look of the of the film. Uh, and Clemens and Musker were a really big fan of an English cartoonist named Gerald Scarf. And he was hired as a production designer and was kind of initially asked to produce a dozen or so drawings for inspiration. Uh, but he said, I'll do you one better, and made over 700 drawings uh, throughout <laughs> production. And he actually ended up working with the animators on prototypes for every single character uh, in the film. Uh, they had research trips to Greece and Turkey to research Greek mythology and the landscape. Obviously, they did more work on the landscape because there is very little actual Greek mythology uh, in this movie. Uh, and Scarf's style, uh, there's really beautiful concept art if you ever want to Google. I guess if you just type in Gerald Scarf and Hercules, there's some really amazing stuff uh, that he worked on that, that created a lot of the ideas or, or helped influence a lot of the look of Hercules. Uh, but his style kind of proved to be too fluid and too chaotic for animators. Uh, but production stylist Sue Nichols actually created this reference chart of basically a, a, a guide of how to mix Disney elements with the elements of, of Scarf style. And that guide stayed on the desk of every single animator at Disney throughout making Hercules. So it was very key kind of to blending their own Disney style with the style of, of Gerald Scarf. Um, and a lot of animators we, we know and love are involved in Hercules. We have Andreas Deja, who's a supervising animator for Hercules himself. And he was initially given Hades, uh, but wanted to challenge himself with a hero because he'd been doing villains. He did Scar, Gaston, Jafar, all sorts of iconic villains, and, and wanted uh, an opportunity to do something different. Um, and Eric Goldberg, uh, who did the genie, was initially assigned but basically, a lot of people were initially assigned to Hades at first, but they all kind of turned it down for one reason or another. Uh, Eric Goldberg was also um, assigned to do Hades because Jack Nicholson was considered to be Hades, but Jack Nicholson pulled out, uh, and Eric Goldberg decided to go for Phil uh, instead. Uh, and he used Grumpy from Snow White and Bacchus from Fantasia as big inspirations for, for Phil, and you can definitely see a lot of Grumpy, I think, in, uh, in Philoctetes. Um, Ken Duncan was responsible for Meg or Megara, um, and he was really inspired. It, it really struck me watching it this time. I was like, "Oh, it's Mae West," um, and he was really. In, it's apparently this is true because he was really heavily inspired by screwball comedians of the '30s and '40s, like Mae West, and particularly Barbara Stanwyck uh, in movies like The Lady Eve. So a lot of that is very much there. I mean, she calls him like a big lug, and like you only did that in the 1930s and '40s. <laughs> Uh, and Nick Ranieri uh, was, was the one who eventually got Hades. 
uh, and he kind of based the character on a Hollywood agent type and or like a car salesman type. So I guess that shows you how Disney feels about Hollywood agents and car salesmen. Um, and he was also really inspired by James Woods, who gave the voice for Hades in this really rapid, um, rapid fire speech. And you know, he speaks so quickly and, and a lot of that was influenced in uh, Nick's work on Hades. Uh, and Ellen Woodbury uh, gave us our wonderful Pegasus, uh, continuing her streak of two characters in a row that we absolutely are obsessed with, uh, first Frollo and now Pegasus. Um, and Alan Menken returned to do the score, and he did the songs with David Zippel. Um, only one Oscar nomination this time. In the past four Disney films he worked on, he not only was nominated multiple times, but won two Oscars each time for, for a total of eight. Uh, but only got one nomination for Go the Distance for Best Song. And do you know what song it lost to? I do not. It lost to um, a very unknown song called My Heart Will Go On oh, from Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was thinking of the year. And then I was like, oh, as soon as I said, no, I don't know. I you knew. instantly yeah. knew what it was. <laughs> um, it, was a, it was a tough year. Uh, 1997 was a, a big uh, mm. year for movies. A lot of movies made a lot of money that year. Um, so box office wise, uh, it was kind of disappointing. It ultimately grossed just not just under a hundred million in America at ninety nine, um, with mm. international earnings bumping the film up to about two hundred fifty three million, and which was which was considered a considerable disappointment because you know keep in mind this was designed as a film to make a lot of money. It was designed to be family friendly, uh, light hearted, charming, funny. Um, and to sell a lot of merchandise, which is kind of ironic, really, because now. Uh, it's pretty much gone. Like you cannot really find any references to this at theme parks, in the Disney stores, on you know online. There, Hercules doesn't really exist in marketing anymore, which is which is kind of a shame because it's got some really great characters, um, especially mm -hmm. Hades. Um, but in a kind of ironic twist of fate, the film that was designed to sell lots of merch and things, which at the time it, it did do well with merch sales, but you know a film designed to sell lots of merch has kind of disappeared uh, from Disney merchandising. And one kind of fun story about how this movie was perceived in Greece, before moving on, um, they planned a huge like uh, movie premiere in a giant open-air theater in Greece, uh, but the country hated this movie, and uh, the, the press really panned it, and the Greek government actually declined the screening. Uh, and there was a Greek newspaper that called Hercules, and I quote, another case of foreigners distorting our history and culture just to suit their commercial interests. And honestly, Sarah... They're not wrong. <laughs> They're not wrong, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think like Disney takes a lot of creative license with a lot of the things that it that it chooses to adapt into its stories, and I think they've taken some real <laughs> deviations from the source material with with this one to the you point could, where you it could do a barely... whole podcast just listing, like literally just listing differences in like Greek mythology which we're not going to do but there, yeah. there's there are many there are plenty yeah yeah I think it, it takes its inspiration from the mythology in kind of name only really in that these are names and characters and gods that will be recognizable to some but it really plays around with a lot of their characteristics and isn't um so in this Hercules mum is um Hera I hope I've said yeah. that right um, but she in, in like Hercules's actual story, I think, is a villain. Or yeah, is... she's like the villain. Yeah, like, she's the antagonist of I believe <laughs> that that whole like bit of mythology. 
So just yeah. Yeah, one of the gazillions of examples of like huge differences. And honestly, it's not shocking that the country of Greece kind of as a collective whole, I'm sure there's some people that like it, but despise this mm. movie. Mm. Yeah, and an- another big thing I was reading as well is that um, the character of Meg is basically just an amalgamation of like four different women who in- in- at some point were connected to or linked with Hercules. So she is not, as she is, a, a- a person that is recognizable in the mythology but in i think the name is taken from one of the one of the women and then certain characteristics and traits taken from some of the others so yeah i think if if you're going to this film thinking that it is going to teach you something about mythology you will certainly learn a lot of names but you will not learn a lot else and i wouldn't consider this film to be research if you are studying greek mythology no absolutely like not you will fail you <laughs> yeah, will fail your will... test unless the test is like find an example of egregious um <laughs> misgivings and, and misconceptions of greek mythology and then you'll probably do really well um, yeah I please just wanted to... read <laughs> yeah yeah don't 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 watch hercules for for research um yeah. or or maybe just watch it and just say the opposite it's probably true um, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to, we talked, I talked a bit about merchandising. Um, I just wanted mm-hmm. to mention one. So McDonald's did a promotion and I encourage you, Sarah, and anyone listening to right now, Google Hercules McDonald's plates. Um, okay. they had a set of, of plates. There were six of them. There was Pegasus, Phil, Meg, Zeus, the Muses and Hercules. Um, we had them all. I have eaten off these Hercules plates probably more times than any other plate in my life. Um, because they were very much requested. Uh, mm. I don't know if if they still exist in our in my in my home my family home. I hope they do. Um, maybe we gave them to like some family or something. But I really want that Muses plate. Um, are you looking? Can you can you see them? Yeah, I've li- <laughs> literally just googled it. So apologies if you could hear the typing on the recording. But these look weirdly familiar. Like I don't know if if I had them. I'm now. Once this episode is out, maybe official brother of the podcast can confirm <laughs> if we had if we had one of these when we were children because I don't know some like weird warm nostalgia feeling just came back when I saw these plates. So they are they are um, they are the top tier in the plating. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how you rank plates, but these are at the top for me. <laughs> these were I I never cared about plates really ever yeah. again. Um, in my life, I still, I still don't. If, if you can put food on it, it's fine for me, uh, as long as it's clean. But man, these plates were very special to, I believe, both my brother and I. Um, and I loved that orange muse plate. Wow, I they're really I, nice. McDonald's, yeah, like, as... McDonald's is known for like cheap little toys that go with your Happy Meal. These are like proper. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were plastic, but you know, they were they were nice. Yeah, as soon as we are finished recording, I'm going to be on eBay looking for a Pegasus and a Muses plate because they are the two that I want. Yeah, they're, they're um, pretty. They're pretty. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted we, to mention that specifically because I know um, they really push merchandise hard. They had a lot of deals like that uh, with yeah. McDonald's and, and with other places. There were tons of promotional tie-ins for Hercules, as as there are really with any uh, Disney film that's released, but I think this is one of the one of the only times where that was like a real focus for the animators. There's a lot mm. of like angular designs kind of in this film, so you can make mm-hmm. action figures of Hercules really easily. Um, mm. I know I had um, Nessus, who is that like horse guy that's fighting with with Meg. I'm pretty sure mm. I had some of the Titans as well, and I I almost certainly had Hercules. I know I had Hercules and Hades. I believe Pain and Panic too. I 
I really loved Hercules um, as a kid, <laughs> and I, I've seen it a, a fair amount since. Um, mm. But kind of what strikes me about Hercules is that it's I I enjoy it. I think it's mm-hmm. it's a good time. It's fun. It probably has. If you're counting the amount of jokes, I think this has the most, even more than yeah. Aladdin. Like they really, mm-hmm. they really took it up a notch. You can really feel them. Like, but we need even more jokes. And it's like every time mm-hmm. they try to get serious, they're like, "But how about more jokes?" And they're like, "Okay, but this is a big <laughs> emotional moment." And they're like, "Is it, or can we have more jokes?" Um, and the answer was always yes, more jokes. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a bad thing. Like this movie is fun. It's a good time. I um. I think it's a really big step back in terms of what is happening in the Renaissance. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, um, mm-hmm. but I just feel like from going to kind of these like really detailed environments uh, and these really like kind of groundbreaking animation uh, that we saw basically the whole Renaissance through so far, even even um, uh, Rescue with Down Under, which we may not have particularly cared for, but the animation in it is amazing. Um, mm. And, you know, really incredible landscapes and all of these movies we've seen. And then we get to Hercules, and it feels not necessarily lazy, because I think the character designs as a whole are pretty good. Uh, and there's mm. lots of neat color and, and great uses of color. But this movie just feels... well. I guess it feels cartoony, which is the point. So it's not it's not mm. it's not a detriment to it. But you know, going from movies like Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame and just the level of detail that is in those environments to Hercules, where most of the environments are like a single color. Mm. And it kind of looks most of the time that they're like playing in front of like a green screen almost, like a blank screen that they can just like pop something on. Um, thinking especially of places like Mount Olympus, where, like, all the gods are living. Surely this is, like, the most incredible place on, well, not Earth, but in the in the universe. You know, this mm. is the place. It's, it's, it's all of the most powerful beings on Earth coming together, and they all live there. And it looks like, it's like some clouds and, like, some mm-hmm. blue sky. Hmm. Yeah, I think the the exception to this is the design of the underworld, which yes. I will come back to because I, I think it looks pretty spectacular. But actually, yeah, it's it's a good point that you're making. And a really weird, tiny thing that I noticed that kind of really cements what you're saying, actually, is in the, it's in the small details where I just felt like something was lacking. And mm-hmm. in the scene where I believe it's when Hercules is fighting the hydra so this sort of many headed monster thing um and there's one point where he's sort of like pushing pushing back against the monster and his feet are sort of scraping on the rock and i was (laughs) this is gonna sound insanely nitpicky but i was expecting to see sort of like some dust or some stones sort of like kick up because that is what you would see if someone's foot was resisting against stone or you know or gravel or something like that Mm -hmm. but there was nothing and it didn't feel then it didn't sort of feel like the characters were part of the environments it felt like there were environments and then there were characters and neither was particularly bad but the blend of them just didn't always work like you don't sort of see those those sort of small telltale signs that show you as an audience that these characters are interacting with their environment and yeah it it, it 
I don't know if anyone if anyone else would notice and be like, oh, there should really be some uh, some gravel kicking up there. But I, because I watched this film twice, actually, I was incredibly tired when I watched it yesterday, so I had to watch it again today. Um, and that was something that I picked up on. I was just like, huh, okay, yeah, there's there's something that isn't sort of as detailed in terms of the animation as some of the previous films have been and i think that this this film makes a pretty conscious effort to have the animation style kind of mimic that that sort of recurring thing we see with the muses where these are works of art that are sort of like painted onto these uh these jars and these vases and that sort of thing so they they look and feel very two-dimensional and perhaps that that is then we we sort of see it actually like fade from the the vase pictures into then you know the the action the 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 rest of the animation so whether they're kind of like going for that effect this sort of like art come to life but then there's there's moments that that are sort of more do have more depth the the, the hydra monster himself is incredibly detailed and when you sort of see the multiple you know ends up with sort of like 30 40 odd heads it seems at the end when you see that there's an incredible amount of of depth um mm-hmm. in that character the, so the, it hydra, does, the hydra is the like to me like the standout and it was it's something like it took them based on depending on how many heads it took yeah six, <laughs> it took them six to 14 hours per frame it took about a year and a half for that four mm-hmm. minute sequence yeah and it shows i mean it's yeah, it's it an incredible I think there's sequence like one shot that kind of looks video gamey when like yes. it's just like the bottom half of the hydra like coming mm-hmm. towards hercules but every mm-hmm. other moment it it's spectacular like maybe that's where the, all the budget went and like all the all the i don't want to say all the effort, <laughs> it's not like it's i think maybe it's a problem of having so many people working on it that you kind of lose mm. that like consistency of like a small group of people like for example like working on Hercules specific specific character, Andreas Deja would typically have like a as a, as the like lead supervising animator would typically have a crew of like three or four people. With like this time it was like thirteen to fourteen, and I guess maybe mm. you just lose that consistency when like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. many people are working on it that like you just maybe you just lose sight of those of those details. I'm not I'm not sure. I mean obviously you can't really say because I I wasn't there. Um, yeah. so I don't know what the issue was, but the issue I think is definitely there, and you really lose mm. um there's just something about it that just doesn't it just doesn't hit the same way like it's it just looks like it's missing something it's it's missing dimension for sure there's a real lack of dimension in in the 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 environments uh and mm. a real lack of of dynamics that we have seen especially coming straight off of hunchback which is some of the most detailed work mm. and you know we talked a lot about those crowds um but you know there <laughs> were they were huge crowds like really like the Notre Dame the Notre Dame is a character. Paris is a character in in mm. um in Hunchback, and in and, and this has, except for the underworld, which even when a lot of the scenes in the underworld though, like the background is just like black, like you don't mm. really you don't see the detail of it as much as as you should. Um. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's kind of disappointing, and it's a, I don't think you can say it isn't a step back because it it is just objectively, um you're seeing less there's there's a lot less dynamism that you've seen in the films of the renaissance and even films that came many decades before them Mm. 
yeah, I I agree with you. I still do really like the, <laughs> really like this film because I I think it is a lot of fun, and I particularly like the songs, and and we'll get onto that that stuff well, I'm, as no, well. I'm, but... I'm just specifically I'm specifically speaking to the to the animation. Yeah. I'm not saying it's ugly either. Um, mm. I think it looks better than something like you know like Sword of the Stone. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you know, hard. Sword of the Stone also has like a four million dollar budget, and this had like an eighty five million dollar budget. So you know, mm. um, but yeah, yeah, it's just, it just it's just lacking something. Um, and mm. I think it's noticeable, and I think it's noticeable to to. I don't think you have to be like a. You might not notice the details of like the the lack of dirt falling off when he's like holding on, which is a great example. Um, mm. you might not notice that, but I think you can see, especially if you're watching these in chronological order, like we are. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a step back. It's it's not necessarily like a, a huge leap backwards. Um, but it is one. Yeah, I I think the thing that I noticed was just how different it did look to Hunchback, which, despite its flaws with the with the nightmarish crowd and their horrible <laughs> little blank faces, but like, as as a whole, <laughs> if you're not pausing, the crowd still looks amazing. You know? Right, exactly. Like from a distance, they they look pretty great, but this, it, you yeah, I think it is. It's just that lack of that lack of depth and that lack of detail and care and attention into the backgrounds and i think so much has gone into the characters and not in i don't say not enough into the background because that makes it seem like you know people weren't working hard on this which you know maybe they were, it's but... kind of a bit of like disillusion with like being pushed to make a film that sells merchandise um and like, right. i'm sure people were still excited about it and uh, you can tell that they're having fun um mm. and it's a lot of fun to be had watching this movie it, it is fun and i mean that's their whole goal of this really was to be fun and i guess mm-hmm. probably going from like you know a lot of people working on stuff like pocahontas and uh lion king and you know hunchback where it, where detail was really key and like kind of pre- well not so much with lion king in terms of prestige but those two in particular pocahontas and hunchback are all kind of about like prestige and now you know you're being told like have a good time make this really mm-hmm. fun so you know you're not putting it's 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 probably a deliberate choice to to perhaps yeah. make things less detailed. It doesn't mean it's it's bad. It's just I think if you're kind of looking as objectively as you can in terms of levels and and depth in animation, this has a lot less. And I actually think a lot of the characters are quite ugly in this, but more none of the like none of the main roles. I think they all look really great. Um, mm. But I feel like a lot of the supporting cast feels kind of like a second thought. Like the like some of the like the people in the cities who are like who get speaking lines and stuff. They just they just, they just don't look appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the what you were saying there is that the the focus in this was was different. It wasn't going for that same prestige that Pocahontas and and Hunchback were, and some of the films prior to that as well. It, it was it there is a real sense of fun in this film, and I think that absolutely does come across and they wanted to go for something more lighthearted so in that sense then they absolutely achieved what they wanted to do with this film because it is it is a lot of fun and it is very lighthearted and it is certainly a change in tone from from the previous two films in being that bit more zany and and fun and you know overtly comedic rather than sort of having these really dark and more adult themes this one definitely feels like a film aimed at children or sort of more leaning back towards that or that sort of family very, something for yeah, everyone in the very family like family definitely like that kind of like something for everyone but i feel like yeah getting 
each time I watch it, like, getting older, I feel like there's, like, I don't know, there's good, like, reference, there's good referential humor, um, they mm. do make references to some gods and, like, some literature figures and some other stuff like that, um, which mm. is fun, but I don't know, I just feel like some, a lot, uh, it hasn't aged, some of the humor hasn't aged all that well, and it, it seems very specific to certain things, which, which is fun, but, it, you know, it, it doesn't, it fails to last, fails to make kind of more of a lasting impact than a lot of the other films have and i would have to say and, and again every film in the renaissance has been at at least good um mm-hmm. this is probably currently as as it, i we obviously haven't finished yet but like the the least exciting of the renaissance films to me which i kind of find surprising because i, I have nothing but fond memories of this and i, I i'm mm-hmm. trying to separate you can't really because it, it's just inherent in you the nostalgia required <laughs> or the nostalgia that's ingrained in me after seeing this so many times as a kid but i don't know it just it didn't really get me this time and a lot of that has to do with the animation but a lot of that has to do with the 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 plot as well which feels very Mm. um threadbare um Mm -hmm. and i think it lacks a lot of the the detail and and consistency that we've seen from a lot of the other films Mm. yeah i'm i'm with you there it sort of feels like disney really really going back to where they started which was was in gags and if you're going on a sort of like gag per minute ratio, this film really, <laughs> really oh, it, has it, a lot. Yeah, this this yeah. and like Aladdin is probably as close as you can get, but this really seems like you can feel them trying to like throw as many in, and a lot of them work. It's funny, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but I just feel like something like Aladdin is funnier because it has it has more heart and more of the other things that make the humor that amplify the humor. Um, in mm. ways that Hercules doesn't necessarily. Um, don't get me wrong, though. I, I I had a good time watching this, but it was kind of like I noticed a lot of issues, and and perhaps it's it's a good time to to just go through some. One mm. um, that I think is really interesting is what Hercules is what eighteen, nineteen, maybe because mm-hmm. it's yeah. basically it's I couldn't they don't make it clear whether he's like newly born or he's like it's like his first birthday or something i don't think that mm. is clear so he's either turning 18 or 19 because it's either 18 years like after he's one or, or 18 years from the day we first meet him which he's basically a newborn so let's assume he's 18 um mm-hmm. meg is not 18 <laughs> um and actually this this sorry i, I say plot holes this isn't an, an, an issue this is actually i think really interesting meg is probably like at least 10 years older than him hmm because she, first of all, she's like in like some sort of lifetime servitude to Hades, um, which so presumably she's been doing this for a long time. Um, she's also um, talked about how she's had like other issues with lots of other men and stuff. So we have to assume that these weren't happening when she was like 10. Mm. So I'm pretty sure Meg is like late 20s, like maybe early 30s, which I think is amazing. And I wish they played into that more because I think there's a, that's a really interesting kind of dynamic and she really has the upper hand over him because she is you know hired by hades um but we can talk about that more when we get to to meg i think there's a lot of interesting stuff about her but Mm -hmm. i have i have some issues with like certain story details um like it is when the titans are coming right and they're like climbing mount olympus and zeus is like throwing lightning bolts at them and like nothing is happening right like they're they're not mm-hmm. affected. They're like still climbing, and then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, he throws like one lightning bolt at them the exact same way, and then they they like all get obliterated. Like all of a sudden, this dude has gotten like just as strong as he should have been in the first place. Um, there's another bit where Hercules <laughs> leaves the like um 
the underworld bit where all the dead spirits are there because he's a god, right? But Hades is also a god. So when Hades mm. goes down there, surely Hades will be fine. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm, yeah. I'm not Tantra! <laughs> also, Zeus, Zeus can, like, Zeus, like, fully turns Hercules, like, back into, like, a, like a full-fledged god, right? This is, like, his his doing, and he's, like, you can't yeah. come yet. So why doesn't he just make Mega God? I guess maybe because, I mean, she wasn't originally, so Hercules can make the choice to be like, I will be mortal and, and live on Earth and no longer be a god, but they, she yeah. couldn't just become a... I think that's probably it. I don't... But like, I just, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of... Especially with, like, I think this may be the issue with the Greek mythology bit, is that there just seems to be so many inconsistencies with what these people can do or not. Like, why... Why do, like, a few titans all of a sudden enslave every single god? Why are they not... Mm. They're gods. <laughs> should, they not, should, should they not be strong enough to, like, to, to at least, like, hold them off until Hercules arrives? Like, instead, they're, like, entirely enslaved, including Zeus. But then, mm. a few minutes later, Zeus throws a single lightning bolt, and they're, like, all obliterated. So, when he threw those first 100 lightning bolts, why didn't they do anything? <laughs> yeah, it almost... It feels like they almost don't need to have that bit with with the titans like i i I don't know it just feels like right towards the end of the film they're kind of like oh we need to have a threat and we need to have like a big thing happen but we've kind of had that throughout like hercules faces off against these sort of other monsters and hades is this constant kind of presence and, and threat throughout and he has this sort of grand plan of when the planets align or something, that's when he'll be able to. Yeah, they'll all know. be like strong enough. Which then, which which kind of presents another thing is that Hercules has like the highest stakes of mm. probably anyone so far because really, you know, he he's basically the same as every other Renaissance char- main character so far, as except Cody, um, in that they're like different from everyone else in their group of people that they know or in their race or tribe or whatever uh, or their mm. city etc and they're kind of striving to find out who they really are or what they really want or what they're really passionate about they're all they all follow that um but hercules has a lot at stake if he doesn't find out because basically all of olympus and all of earth is doomed uh mm-hmm. and no one else has that level of, of pressure <laughs> on them which i think would be but they don't really play on that much if at all um mm. it's, it's very like a a personal quest to you know become a, a, a hero and, and the other thing is phil has failed all the time he has never really succeeded so why would zeus take her why would zeus send hercules to, to phil who, who <laughs> doesn't do a great he's kind of like the jimmy cricket of trainers he's not that good at it yeah <laughs> and also he goes to sorry i have just have so many he goes to hercules mm. right okay so you can kind of compare this moment where hercules where phil finds out that meg um is in debt to hades and they're working together Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's also so then he goes to Hercules and tells him, you know, that Meg is, is two timing and, and whatever and, and not to be trusted. And then Hercules gets really upset and kind of throws quite literally like hits um, Phil and he like flies into some armor or something. You can kind of compare that to the scene in Aladdin um, with the genie where the genie like disappears and leaves Aladdin because Aladdin has kind of become uh, a real a real jerk. Um, mm. But there's a reason for that in Aladdin. And, and honestly, here, like 
Hercules is completely justified to do that because Phil doesn't give him any evidence. Phil doesn't mm. say, all Phil had to say was, I saw her with Hades, and then he'd probably be like, who's Hades? But then he could figure it out. He just comes in, and like, this Hercules guy is very much like falling madly in love with her, and he's like, she's horrible. With no, ev- of course he's going to be mad. <laughs> it's just that lack of detail that I found like so essential to like these other Disney movies, particularly in the Renaissance. Mm. And it just feels like this one lacks that entirely. I don't know if you completely disagree or 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 what, but I would I would like to know. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that this film just sort of expects you to accept on surface level, and it all feels very kind of surface level, both in the liberties that it takes with the the myths that it is using as its source material, and then just with the events and things that happen in the film as well like stuff just kind of happens and you are expected to just go along with it and i think if the film was less fun um it would feel a bit more of a of a slog or it'd be a bit more difficult to just be to kind of be on board with but yeah a lot of the sort of character choices in it things just don't the dots don't necessarily always connect as well as they should i think and i think that all sort of adds into what we were saying previously in that this that disney weren't going for that with this they weren't trying to make something that was this sort of like really thematically rich story they sort of took this like basic inspiration from mythology but they weren't trying to make this big deep spiritual point with this film it's just like here's these characters that we're inspired by in name only and we're gonna throw them into a lot of kind of fun and zany scenarios and there's gonna be a lot of wisecracking and you're gonna have a great time and one character will learn a lesson along the way which is obviously hercules but yeah i i i think i'm with you i i I have a very different relationship with this film just because i didn't watch it until i was an adult so i think i only saw it for the first time maybe five or six years ago so i've not sort of had this childhood love of it and have then kind of like changed my opinion on it over time i think i just i i did really like it when i first saw it and on rewatches i've been able to sort of pick it apart a bit more but yeah i think i think i agree with you for the most part in terms of the the shortcomings shall we say in the in the narrative Mm -hmm. i yeah i mean i I do still like it. I had a good mm. time. It just, I was kind of, I was really struck with how uh, bare it is mm, compared mm. to a lot of the stuff that we've seen recently. It feels like if this, this maybe belongs in the 80s mm. in terms of like, or the 70s in terms of what they're, what what they've done with it in terms of like lighthearted family affair. Uh, I think it would fit better in context of like the studio history. Obviously it would look a lot different and would not have a budget of $85 million. um but i i think it would it would be interesting it it feels like thematically in the kind of story that they're telling that that's where it should be and it it feels Mm. kind of strange uh slap bang in the middle of the of the disney renaissance because right after this mulan is more i mean mulan is fun but it's more serious and tarzan is more serious Mm. as well um yeah it seems like the only one that's specifically for laughing and having a good time with family and having a, a fun family time and like hopefully mm. you buy some merch on the way out yeah it feels like a, a a fun sort of interlude nestled between a couple of like more serious and more adult films but yeah it's i 
I do still, I have a lot of fun with this. And I think a lot of that comes from, um, from the songs and in particular, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the storytelling trope of the, of the muses. Um, I think in terms of openings to films, this has like one of my favorite openings because it starts off very kind of like Beauty and the Beast style with this quite serious prologue and I was today years old when I learned that it was Charlton Heston who is the narrator mm-hmm. <laughs> of yeah. that segment which is kind of wild um particularly as the like the delivery of the line you go girl just becomes like so much <laughs> more amusing to me when I <laughs> learn that it's Charlton Heston but um yeah I I love the muses <laughs> this is a soundtrack that I really do enjoy listening to and I think that that opening scene in particular it does such a great job of like really having a lot of fun with the animation and using this sort of greek art style on the on the pottery and on the vases and bringing that to life and really just telling you everything that you need to know about the key characters in this before we then kind of like launch into it and i if i had to pick a favorite song i think it would be zero to hero but a lot of competition because i i love all of the songs in this film (laughs) yeah and you kind of get like every possible genre as well they really like it feels like a real grab bag now if you're talking context of the film maybe that doesn't work as well because they're all kind of all over the map and it's a bit confusing and and disconcerting but oh my word i love these songs yeah (laughs) i i love love go the distance zero to hero Mm -hmm. is everything i won't say i'm in love I mean, the only one that's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, is is a Star Is Born because it feels like they're kind of just like thrumming it in at the end. Um, mm. But it's still fun, and like there, mm-hmm. there's the Phil Phil song. Is it one one last hope? One last hope. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. the, I don't think this. I don't think this film has like a bad song. Um, nope. but it's got some really fun ones. Mm. I don't know if they yeah. hit the same level as stuff. Um, in say like Colors of the Wind or um a whole new world or friend like me or you know ones like that or part of your world poor unfortunate souls that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. but they're really fun these i feel like the songs are maybe the best example of what they're trying to do in this movie and like the best execution of that yeah because they're so delightful i had so much fun (laughs) i'd say singing it's more like screaming um along to these songs especially i won't say i'm in love um (laughs) because it's, it's got yeah. that great like delightful like motown vibe um mm-hmm. and it's just yeah they're a lot of fun they're to me they're the the them and those songs and like the hydra are to me like the big and pegasus of um and hades are like the real key <laughs> to like why this film works and again like you know i've said a lot of stuff about why to me it's it's not up to the level of the others but it's still it's still there's a lot to enjoy here mm. yeah i i feel like for a lot of people and i i might be wrong in this assumption but i think for a lot of people the thing that they really love about hercules is the songs because they are so good and maybe that i think that's one of because a lot of people do really love this film and i i think that if you were a kid in 97 this film was really going to hit with you so i was and it did yeah (laughs) can (laughs) confirm is true um but yeah i i I don't you know if you don't say to someone Hercules and they don't sing back to you who puts the gladding gladiator Hercules, then, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want people who don't do that in my, <laughs> in my life. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's 
a weak song in this at all. I think my my uh, I say least favorite, but the one that I wasn't kind of like bopping along to as much was probably One Last Hope. But I think that's a really fun sequence where you're sort of seeing Hercules go through his little training montage. is 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 still fun, but I was really having a great time singing along to all of the others doing the little muses, backing vocals, and I won't say I'm in love. Um. Mm-hmm. very obnoxiously singing zero to hero because that is my fave mm-hmm. um that's a really fun sequence as well where it's sort of showing hercules's sort of rise to the rise to the top and becoming famous and there's some really great visual gags in that as well and the sort of the the air herc stuff with his sort of take on the air jordans um and the action figures which you know but perhaps sort of um <laughs> foreshadowing a little what They're was there to for come. a reason <laughs> yeah it's like you put a, an actual action figure within the plot of the film and it's like we know what you're doing disney we yeah. see we see we've clocked that um but yeah i i don't know if these songs necessarily get the same attention as some of the other ones in the renaissance and i think you're right that there isn't that sort of colors of the wind, a whole new world, big kind of moment. I think the go the distance comes the closest, but in the film itself, actually, that song is is chopped up into sort of like, I think is it three like little mini segments that happen across yeah. the space of about five to eight minutes mm-hmm. in sort of like as the story is being told, um. Which is fine. I just, I, I really, really like that song. So I like listening to it as its whole rather than mm-hmm. sort of chopped up. Because every time I got like really into it and was having a great time belting it out, it stopped. And I was like, oh, now I have to. Yeah. I, I, I have to like, wait. You're like, I was still getting there. I <laughs> yeah, just... I was warming up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree. That it's a bit jarring. Do they, do they list it on the soundtrack as. A um, just... No. I would. No, I had a look at this earlier. At, they just have go the distance. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it, there's obviously no no gaps in it at all. I think maybe there's some like instrumental gaps in it, but nothing. Yeah, not the sort of like length of time it takes in the film. So, um, yeah, I I have anything else to add on the songs? Really, they're just they're all great, and um, this is a soundtrack that I really enjoy listening to. The score as well is really great. I mean. I don't know what else we can say about Alan Menken at this point, other than he hits it out the park every single time. <laughs> he does. It's it's a bit. Um, I don't want to say tired, but it it's you know you kind of know what to expect. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Which isn't really a bad thing. I mean, it's it's familiarity is good. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't come back to Disney until two thousand four in Home on the Range, uh, the all time classic. Oh, um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so he you know he takes some time off of of Disney and. and because mm. I, I guess, you know, you've done so many in such a short yeah. period of time. They can only be so different in, in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Because plot-wise, a lot of these films are not identical, but very similar in terms of arcs and, and resolutions and things. You know, they're very similar. So you can only have so many different approaches to the what is essentially the same thing when you boil it mm. down. Um, but yeah. I think it's really good. Interestingly, it, it did not get a nomination for, for Best Score. Only one song, which is kind of funny because we've seen a streak of like 6,000 songs being nominated each time. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I think I think they're really fun songs. I don't know if they're like all-timers. Um, on a personal level, I think I really, really love some of them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they definitely don't share the same impact as like the big ballads or the big, even the big like sidekick songs or villain songs. Uh, from mm. other as other films in the Renaissance, yeah, which is kind I, of a theme I, of Hercules, really. Mm. 
That's very true. Yeah, I I would really love this film to have a villain song. I think it deserves it, and I think Hades <laughs> Hades has earned a villain song in this. I don't know whether they had one and it was cut, or whether they just decided not to. I don't know. Do you know anything about that? Was was there um, the intention I don't, to I don't be? believe it was intended. Okay. I know Meg had an entirely different song, um, and they mm. felt like it didn't fit Meg very well, so they gave her I Don't Say I'm In Love. Um, I don't believe there was a song designed for Hades. But it's interesting, just kind of talking, I guess before we move on to the man himself uh, of the mm-hmm. underworld, it, <laughs> it's interesting looking at Hercules, because you look at kind of the we've mentioned it quite a bit in terms of looking at like the home media, the the DVD, Blu-ray release, whatever that Disney do. Mm. Uh, and you can kind of gauge how they feel about the film based on uh, how many supplemental features are there. Look at something like Hunchback. There's, there's not much. Um, Pocahontas, there's not a whole lot, but stuff like Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, you know, those, mm. they're overflowing with stuff, you know, the, with, with bonus content and you can feel the love they pour into it. Hercules has like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they they have no interest in telling us more about Hercules, which which I think is a shame. Um, yeah. Give give us context, Disney. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it it's it's bare bones. There's like a a few minute making of that feels more like a promotional thing, and you don't actually learn anything about how it's made. Um, mm. And it's yeah, there's like and I think there's like a music video, and that's it. Which is crazy because this is this is a Renaissance film. Um, but mm. it didn't make as much. Disney has a real thing where, like, if your film doesn't make very much money, regardless of what like people think about it, they they just pretend it's not there. <laughs> but the yeah. Black Cauldron, like, as far as they're concerned, the Black Cauldron never existed. Who never heard of it? What's that? <laughs> who? Who is she? I don't know her. Um, like, maybe they'll do a proper like big big deal when they eventually come out with the live action for that. But like, a lot of the films, if they don't make a lot of money, Disney kind of just shovels them aside. And you really have like when people think Renaissance, you know, they think Lion King, Being mm-hmm. a Beast, and, and Aladdin. Mm-hmm. They they've kind of they kind of leave some of the others uh behind, but yeah, I I don't think it deserves that. I just mm-hmm. I just think it kind of speaks to just mentioning how it's kind of like overall kind of feeling of Hercules, it's not quite at the level of everything else around it. Uh, and I guess throwing out a bare bones release of it when you put so much love and and care into so many of the others, basically mm-hmm. every other film in the Renaissance except Rescuers Down Under has a pretty decent you know supplemental package and a, a pretty yeah. solid release um whether it's huge like beating beast or whether it's a bit smaller like something like hunchback it's still you can still feel it but mm. yeah hercules is, is a bit threadbare which is kind of like the film is a bit threadbare but you know who isn't threadbare sarah <laughs> our beloved villain hades <laughs> Mr. Hades. i love this character so much um I mean, the, I feel like we're just we're saying what we always say on this podcast, which is how much we love the the villains. But there's something about Hades that I just really connect with. I think I just think because he's very, he's very sarcastic. He's very, very witty and surprisingly charming as well. Given that the design of him is quite hideous and he's really made to look pretty scary, but his sort of um sardonic like dry sense of humor is where i really get the the gerald scarf influence and i sent you one of the um the -hmm. concept drawings of hades and it's pretty close to what we what we end up getting from him Mm -hmm. um and gerald scarf was really known for um being uh very satirical and doing a lot of sort of like political stuff as well the thing that i know him from is 
um, doing the animation for Pink Floyd's The Wall. So when I learned that Gerald Scarf was involved in Hercules, boy, was I excited because I love <laughs> Pink Floyd and my one of my favourite bands and I love the animation work that he did for that. So was very, very excited to um, to learn of his involvement in this and look at some of those concept drawings because they're really quite extraordinary. And I think that he his hand is is most seen in i think the design of the underworld which i think we'll cover in this bit as well and in the design and execution of hades and a lot of the personality of hades obviously comes from the voice work of james woods as well who ad-libbed a lot and puts a lot into that character but yeah i hades is i think quite an underrated villain i don't know if he necessarily sort of crops up in people's lists as much as he should but i had a really great time with this villain <laughs> he, he is he's tremendous and, and it's another yeah. really good example of a voice actor coming in and having the best time now mm-hmm. i believe james woods doesn't have the greatest reputation these days but i don't know enough nope. about anymore <laughs> um i'm sure he's a better person than mal gibson but that's an unbelievably <laughs> low bar anyway um, it's not hard yeah <laughs> no but you you know you can just you can tell he is having the time of his life in this movie like robin williams did like vincent price did because i'll always mention great mouse detective when i can justice for radican <laughs> um and you know you can you can just tell he's he's pouring his his soul into it and, and nick ranieri who who is a supervising animator really does a great job kind of bringing all these influences together as well as his own twists to make hades mm quite a legend and and i kind of picked up on it this time is that hades is kind of like a greatest hits album of Mm -hmm. of the disney villain so he comes in um crash well except he doesn't crash the birthday party like maleficent but you know we first see him at the hero's birthday party uh Mm -hmm. so that is you know that's tick one he negotiates with um hercules just like ursula's tick two he's got the same kind of wit as as a as a scar tick three you know he's he's got so many mm. elements to him that make him feel like kind of a, a collection of all the other villains and like the greatest hits but it doesn't feel like he's derivative he feels very much like his own guy and mm-hmm. he's very relatable because he gets very frustrated at his in assistance inabilities to do things and you know that's relatable that's like pretty much every disney villain um so he's definitely got qualities of a lot of the ones that we've come to love, but he's very... James Woods gives him a, a real unique personality, and I love Ranieri saying how he's kind of inspired by, like, a Hollywood agent or, like, a car salesman, because <laughs> you definitely get that kind of, like, cadence and and mm. patter, and it, it's it's really... He's really funny. I can't imagine... This film would... Honestly, this film would probably suck without Hades. Hmm. Yeah, he he is one of the main reasons why I was really disappointed that there weren't more special features because I really just wanted to see Danny DeVito as Phil and James Woods as Hades just ad-libbing and having a great time performing as their characters and when that wasn't on the special features I was bitterly disappointed because mm-hmm. I just I yeah, like you said he just injects so much of of himself and so much personality into into Hades and there were a lot of names that were sort of connected with that character. And I think that John Lithgow like recorded the whole, like the the whole thing, like was, did all of Hades lines. And then they like recast him like quite last minute. I think that was something I was reading anyway. I I don't know how much um, truth there is in that, but now it's one of those ones that like, you couldn't imagine anyone other than James Woods doing it. And I think that that's, 
the sign of obviously like really great and perfect casting but just also great character work as well in that those two are now so closely linked that you couldn't picture someone else doing it and someone else providing that that voice and yeah problematic uh stuff aside which again i i don't know too much about um so we won't get into but yeah it's i think it's still he does a great job with this character and it's hades is a is a really fun character and i think one of my uh because i i love a disney reference to themselves uh as we know so there's a really great aside that he says towards the end when he says it's a small underworld after all um (laughs) and boy did i appreciate that because it's my favorite disney ride as well so i was like ha that's funny (laughs) there's a lot of fun little um I mean, in a film overflowing with gags, it's not surprising that there's a lot of wink, wink, uh, nudge, mm. nudge. Meg says something um, about pain and panic, how they're like rodents at a theme park. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I picked, I picked up on that, and then there's, they, there's, you know, there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, they at times transform into, um, at one point they're like a bunny and a squirrel, I think, and then yep. later they uh, like two little birds, and I'm just like, that's a really fun. Uh, nudge nudge wink wink to a Disney trope particularly as I think in both of those situations they're talking to Meg or Meg is there so yeah. it's this thing that we mentioned on a, a couple the of birds. episodes back the birds <laughs> yeah exactly the birds and their and the critters I guess more broadly as well and their connection to Disney princesses so I that's a that's a fun little thing I think as well that they've that they've thrown in and um yeah, but do you have thoughts on Pain and Panic? Because I, I feel like they work in this film and we had a lot to say about the the gargoyles in Hunchback and how much we didn't like them. Um, but I think in if the tone of this film had been more serious, those characters would not work. But I Absolutely. think as villains, sidekicks in this, they they work. And I like 100%. It. And, and, and I, that's exactly what I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Is that if if this had the same tone as Hunchback, uh, they would make no sense and they would be very jarring. But this is yeah. nothing. This is a very far cry from Hunchback. It's insane to think that they was, it was released like just a year later. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a complete one eighty. Um, it's it's probably like a three sixty plus one eighty. Like all the way around and then just flip it over <laughs> again. Like it's so far away um, mm-hmm. from anything really of what the Hunchback feels like as a movie. So yeah, no, they work. They're funny. Um, they got a lot of cute transformations. Um, you can you can feel their desire to make these two little demons cute and cuddly, um, <laughs> and they are. I think I think mm. the even before they transform as their little pink and, and little green selves, they're they're quite fun. Mm. Um, and they're they're not successful sidekicks. We've had a no. pretty <laughs> solid string of of villain sidekicks. Like Iago does a great job. Um, tons that have done really good work. Um, what's his, is it Critter in um Great Mouse Detective? Did I make that up? Uh, no, it's creep? not Creeper. Creep. No, is it Creeper? Oh my gosh! Uh, what is his name? The bat. <laughs> yeah, the bat. Uh, sidekick. Anyway, bat, bat yeah. from <laughs> Great Mouse Detective. Like, <laughs> I'm looking it up. <laughs> does everything. He does a great job. Fidget. Really. Fidget. Fidget. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Correct. Um, cre- I was th- I said Critter. I was thinking of Creeper from um, what you call it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Fidget Fidget does a great job. You know, succeeds really at at, at what he set it, sets out to do. A lot of villain sidekicks recently have done that. Um, Pain and Panic are not very successful, mm. but they're yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I think that that sense of, of fun and being a little bit slapstick and a little bit silly, we see from the moment they are introduced where they basically just, uh, Payne just rolls down the stairs and impales yeah. himself on something. And they're very much seen as that comic relief, but they, they, they absolutely work. And I think that, that it not only it's the strength of this film in terms of its sidekicks and that they are perfectly placed within this film, but just also makes me resent the gargoyles even more because they they effectively try to do a, a similar thing with those in terms of the the gags and just what their role is within the film and it just it does not work in hunchback and to a lesser extent we had that in pocahontas as well with the kind of the multiple animal sidekicks they just didn't just didn't fit in with the film but this film has a real sense of, of fun which is sort of palpable from yeah. the start and it feels they... very natural that they're there right yeah exactly and yeah they they actually have one of my favorite lines in the in the film which i had to write down because i was like i don't want to forget it um but when they are like pretending to be small children and they're trapped under a rock um and they call out they're like somebody call ixii which is oh, the, yeah. like ro- <laughs> the roman numerals for 911 yeah i was like that's funny i enjoy that that's a joke that is for adults not for children as well because kids will be like i don't get it but yeah i i very much enjoyed that and i enjoyed them as characters and yeah we we get not as many psychics in this as we've seen in previous films i think they we've had a lot in i mean beauty and the beast we really struggled to even work out who was a psychic because everyone who wasn't bell was kind of a sidekick but in this it's we're limited to the all the p's we've got phil we've got pegasus we've got pain and we've got panic and obviously two on the side of the heroes and two on the side of the villains so it's it's pretty easy to to narrow down in this so yeah did should we get on to in this in this house we stand i feel like we're fairly conclusive on on this yes okay um, although the <laughs> the the muses are yes. always worth mentioning because they are wonderful but yes we we we've look we we're not gonna this shouldn't be surprising <laughs> to you we have if there's been a horse with any sort of personality <laughs> you know we're there for it you know it's gonna happen up the top of my head one more time for sure um absolutely Although it's that one's that one's competitive, but I I think we know mm. where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's Pegasus. <laughs> it absolutely is, and Pegasus. Which, which, w- can I just say, would if yeah. we stand, if we like included the big characters, we would have stand um uh, Frollo last time, which means we would have had two Ellen Woodbury characters in a row. So shout out mm. to a true legend because Pegasus looks amazing. Mm. Yeah, it does. I I I love the design of Pegasus because manages to be absolutely adorable in his small little baby form and then fun and sassy and witty and all the things we love uh when he is in his adult form and i i struggle to pinpoint a favorite pegasus moment but i really like when he is little baby pegasus and his little snore that he does yes Um, and may may i say that when (laughs) um pegasus and hercules were snoring together so was anya um and it was a heavenly cavalcade (laughs) of snores all very different all very glorious it was really delightful yeah actually you sent me a video a while ago of anya doing a snore which sounds like similar to that little whistle that pegasus does when she like yeah it's so cute oh i do love it yeah and i'm trying to think of another great pegasus moment um i like when 
pain and panic transform into uh, a lady horse to try, try and seduce Pegasus. And then when they reveal their true forms, uh, the look on Pegasus' face is just absolutely horrified. Like his jaw <laughs> drops to the floor. Kind of like and the it's... squirrel in Sword in the Stone. Yeah, it's, it's very, very funny. Um, did you, do you have any other favorite Pegasus moments other than other than those ones? Of course. My, my favorite moment is when, <laughs> um, right before we get the I Won't Say song, um, Hercules and, and Meg are together and Phil is riding um, Pegasus who is a helicopter um, <laughs> which is there's nothing Pegasus can't do uh, and it's really clever animation and it's really like I, I, the horses are hard because they don't speak you know Pegasus mm. doesn't talk um, so really it's all through character design um, and body movements and facial expressions, and they do an amazing job with with Pegasus. So a special shout out to everyone involved in on Pegasus specifically, because uh, it's easily a character that could be nothing. You know, mm. it could just be like a horse that a, the horse that flies that that takes Herc from point A to point B. But I think it's a lot mm. more than that. And Pegasus is is really fun, great comic relief. Although I don't know what you need relief from. It's all comic. Um, <laughs> But great comic relief from the other laughs. <laughs> yeah, great uh, silent com- comedic relief, I guess, as a as a non-speaking character. Um, yeah. As Disney continue in their trend, as they've done in so many previous films and films to come as well, of really great uh, jokes and gags from characters that don't say a single word. And Pegasus is absolutely one that joins that uh, very prestigious pantheon and Sure. will not be will not be the last horse that that we stand i'm I'm willing no. to to bet that um yeah i i just i just wanted to go back to um because i realized we didn't mention it when we were talking about hades but um just the the design of some of the um uh areas and and places in in the film and I really like and appreciate the design of the underworld and it's it's weird how much more they put into that than they seem to do with the Mount Olympus and where, and where the where the gods are. It's really I would have liked more from yeah from that, but I love the design of the underworld and and particularly the sort of the detail in like the River of Souls, um that we see uh numerous times and just that there is constant kind of movement and fluidity in that that i that i really like and i think it's just a very interesting environment to look at that was one that i kind of wanted to pause and and look at and um yeah did you have anything any sort of thoughts on we spoke a lot about like animation bits that we weren't so keen on but any bits that you did did really like or really appreciate um The um what I I well we talked about what's his um the Hydra already and I think the mm. Hydra is is the peak of this and I think it's really magnificent. I actually really like what they did with the Cyclops. Um mm. because the Cyclops is hideous. It is gross to look at. Um it looks like it doesn't look very polished, but I think that's really intentional and I think it, it really does a good job um influencing how gross he is and how ugly he is and how frightening he is. So I think they did a really good job with that. I also really like the fates. Mm, um, the the three old ladies that share one eye. Uh, <laughs> I think they are, they are quite delightful as well. But yeah, the, the, again, I don't think it's not an ugly movie. I don't think mm. that. I just think 
it lacks a certain dynamic. But yeah, no, the, the underworld is, is where it's at. Uh, I wouldn't really <laughs> want to go there. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I did find even in the underworld that a lot of the times, especially if you like see the fates, like all that's behind them is like the color black. Like you don't see a lot of the, you see it in like establishing shots and the occasional moment, but you don't see the magnificence of that underworld enough. I don't think because it looks great. They should have used mm-hmm. it more. Yeah, I would have liked, I would have liked even more. I think I just I really like looking at every frame of an animated film, and this was compared to others like lacking in moments that I wanted to pause and just stare at. And I think that the only time I I did want to do that was I think when we when Hades first arrives yeah. in the underworld and we sort of mm-hmm. see the the stairs and there's sort of like skulls and stuff are built into the walls and as I said like the the river that has these sort of souls in it that it is um you can sort of see like the faces and the figures as well and it's really like creepy to look at but there's so much there's so much detail put into that particular moment that then yeah like when you sort of see or you know you're you're with the characters whilst they're in the underworld you don't then get that same level of detail in in the backgrounds and there's uh, one moment in the um is it like do they call it like mount olympus or wherever the gods are is i guess like i think so yeah right above that in the clouds but i do really like the the like day to night transition that they do quite early on Mm -hmm. into the film where one of the gods just sort of like drags this like dark sheet almost like across and then that's how it changes from from day to night i thought that looked that looked really good um and the design of the the gods and stuff is is kind of fun i uh spotted our good pal bacchus in there who we haven't seen since fantasia um and liked that they sort of went with a very very similar character design i feel like that was a like a fun little reference to themselves and uh to add a character that has appeared in multiple films as well but not (laughs) not counting sequels so he has spanned uh decades and uh not seen since fantasia yeah (laughs) we truly do love to see it um yeah uh, i don't think what else we need to cover I think we covered um, most of the Easter eggs, but there's if you've got anything else that you sort of spotted or yeah, uh, anything well, else. There's Scar. Um, yes. <laughs> I think the only one we, we the big one we didn't talk about is um, poor Scar. Um, not Aww. only does he have to go presumably back in time. I mean, I don't know where the time. I I I don't <laughs> think Lion King is an ancient time, um, considering the references in the Lion King, but also considering the references in this, maybe it's not as ancient as it looks. But that's that's a whole <laughs> other thing. Um, so Scar is being well, Hercules is wearing Scar. I should mm-hmm. say, um, for a portrait, and then also like Phil like grabs Scar and like plays with his dead pelt, which is kind of tragic, but it's <laughs> funny because you you realize it's it's Scar. Um, yeah. I just wanted to mention a couple things about some of the characters, and this is a very I'm mm-hmm. kind of surprised this has like a G or or U rating because this is a very um mm. sexually charged film at, at various points. Mm-hmm. Phil, for example, is very creepy um and like his whole like personal thing besides wanting you know a hero to succeed to be proud of which is great and that works but like Mm. he's quite lecherous and like chases after any woman he can and like tries to get his hands on them which is more um accurate to like greek mythology of what of of what a satyr is but it's still it doesn't really Mm. fit here and it's a bit weird um also like hercules being very sexually appealing is a plot point 
Mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. the muses sing about how hot he is and how nice and how wonderful he is. He's literally mobbed by a group of like screaming teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Meg, who is really interesting because I love screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s. So it really struck me this time that that's exactly like the kind of character she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, she's a lot old. She must be a lot older than him, which I think is really fascinating. Um, because usually it's the opposite. Usually the woman is like ex- way too young, um, <laughs> and not even a woman. They're usually like a ch- like Snow White is like fifteen or thirteen. Some of them are really young. Mm-hmm. Um, but Meg is definitely the oldest. She's not technically considered a Disney princess, maybe because she's too old. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but she's at least she's got to be she's got to be at least five to ten years older than him. Mm. I don't know I... if that's something. Is that something you picked up on? Well, I looked into it. After you mentioned it earlier, I was like, I need some answers. And the internet is inconclusive. So some sites, I think maybe just to to be like, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing problematic about it, really. Like, Hercules and Meg are both like of age. It was, it's yeah. not like unacceptable that they No, would. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So there, uh, some websites are sort of saying that she is like, who's believed to be like the same age as Hercules, like 18, 19. And I'm like, I don't buy it. And then I delved a bit further in and it was like, she would have to be in her late 20s, like early 30s. Yeah. Because of like the, the what is a fairly sort of established relationship with her and Hades. Like they interact like two people who have clearly known each other for quite a while. And just the way that she is as well. Like she very much like has you know has her stuff together i'm just trying <laughs> try to keep this pg um she i i think one well, of she the, like, the... And she also like references like other like lovers and other like loves and men right. in her life so she she can't be a kid i mean she no. could but i don't think she is i i it doesn't it, it doesn't sit right that she would be even sort exactly. of like 18 19 i think at the very youngest she would be sort of like mid 20s like 25 or something but yeah and just the way that she sort of carries herself as well and her sort of like great iconic line is you know i'm a damsel i'm in distress i've got this or or i can handle this whatever she says um she is clearly like i i i made a note that she very much gives off like a may west vibe so (laughs) i'm glad that that is what they were sort of going with with that character and she is a complex character as well she's in in this is a bit of a kind of a femme fatale like she is on the side of of the villain she doesn't particularly want to be there but she does you know, work she's, she's the only one that literally works for the villain right yeah she has she, an established relationship with the villain and, and uses it against hercules yeah and their their dynamic is very interesting as well because she clearly has no choice but she she doesn't put up much resistance to sort of do the things that Hades wants, at least in the beginning. And then I think when she meets Hercules, it, it sort of changes. But she's a very interesting character. And I do I do really like her. I think that um, compared to some of the other... I mean, it feels a, a lot more progressive as a female character compared to some that we've seen. I feel like um, she almost maybe belongs in like a more and this I don't mean to say this as an insulting thing. I just feel like maybe she belongs <laughs> in a more like sophisticated Yeah. I know what very, you mean. This is very comic. This is very it, and again, that isn't I do not mean that as bad. It mm. it works very well most of the time in this movie. It just she doesn't feel like she should be here, maybe. Um but that that whole romance is very interesting and in genuine seduction, not just like falling in love or like being attracted to one another, like mm-hmm. seducing someone else is a plot point. So yeah. it's, it's, it's 
it has some some pretty serious adult themes also a lot of death um although i think mm. it's more or less like reversed by magic or whatever but like there's a lot of dying <laughs> and destruction in a movie that's supposed to be really light mm. um but yeah it's um some interesting meg meg is definitely one of the more interesting female characters in in a in a company that has a history of many uninteresting ones so it's nice mm. to see i mean we've seen a lot of progression in that uh and we definitely see that here yeah absolutely and is i think one of i want to consider her as a, a princess even though she isn't because then i could put her in my like top <laughs> my top princesses because yeah. i i really like her but if we're talking like female disney characters well, she, she can certainly... be one of your top non-villains that's <laughs> That's very true. Our favourite uh, way of describing uh, people who aren't villains. She is a great non-villain and uh, she absolutely is. we love um, her. <laughs> so often we spend time talking about the animated sequels or mm-hmm. um, or remakes to come, but there are no um, animated sequels. There is technically um, an animated prequel, which I believe is called like, Hercules Go the Dis- Going the Distance, but it is more or less a package film because there's also a hercules animated series and it's like Mm. three episodes of the series with like some extra stuff so it doesn't really count um there is however i know what you're thinking this movie is so comic and cartoony (laughs) that there's no way it would make any sense as a live action remake well ha you're wrong um well actually i disagree you are not wrong it does not make sense they're doing it anyway um all we really know is that it's being produced by the Russo brothers who did uh, some of the Captain America movies and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they're very, they're a very big deal now, um, which makes me think that it's going to be quite serious, which sounds like a disaster. Um, mm-hmm. But hey, you know, there's a really good live action. There's a really fun one with Dwayne Johnson as Hercules, um, which is probably more accurate mythology wise. Uh, that's really fun. Just watch that. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the Disney one, but it's also about someone named Hercules. Huh. Is it called Hercules? The Dwayne Johnson one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, I don't. It, it's kind of like the Mummy Scorpion King kind of thing. Like, it's a silly, fun action movie. It's a good time. Oh, I, I, can, I can get on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I own a copy of it and everything. It's really good. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, if we weren't uh, forced to stay in our houses at the moment, I, I feel like we could watch that together and have a great time. Yeah, that'd be fun. It's, 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 um, it's decent. It does, it, it's a fun time. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I I don't understand the decision to make a, a film that is so cartoony a live action movie, but it's happening, and I don't know if you want to add anything or we should just start wrapping up because yeah, yeah. And we don't know I, anything. we don't know who's in it or anything either. No, I like with all of these ones that they announced, I don't want it and I don't need it, and I think particularly when something like you said is so cartoony and so works in an animated context i i just don't see why you would need to make that live action i I, it just seems like doing it for the sake of doing it because they're doing it with all the others so i don't know we're never gonna stop disney as we know they will just continue to remake all of our beloved one day they're gonna stop themselves (laughs) i mean it's it's Man. Yeah, they'll remake the remakes. Then they'll be like, "Ooh, you know how that version of the Lion King kind of sucked? Maybe we should <laughs> do ten more." Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, the things we don't need um are that. Um. So just as we sort of wrap up, um, do you want to quickly take us through the four themes? I think we we've, we've covered a fair bit of it, but um, yeah, a quick run through of those. I do actually one more thing about Meg that I forgot. The voice actress is Susan Egan. Um, mm-hmm. who auditioned for loads of Disney movies and really wanted to be in one. And her first audition was was Belle, which she did not get. However, um, Susan Egan was the original Belle on Broadway. 
um, for the Aww. Disney version of, of Beating the Beast on Broadway, and um, she was kind of barred from auditioning for Disney movies because she, you know, was Belle. Um, <laughs> but she she got through and, and convinced because mm. obviously Meg is a very different character personality wise uh, mm-hmm. than Belle, uh, so they weren't sure she could do it. But she uh, she showed them that she could, and I think she's fantastic. Mm, um, nice. But yes, let's uh, let's dive. Let's talk themes. Um, so we've got sidekicks. We talked about them quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. One fun thing though is that they all start with P: uh, Phil, <laughs> Pegasus, Pain, and Panic. That's uh, like we like we love a bit of symmetry uh, in our in our Disney adventures. We do. Um, I mean, I mean, man and nature. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of more like gods in nature, and 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 there's not a whole lot of nature in this movie because it's kind of all set in like cities, and and you don't mm. really see. And because of the complete lack of dynamics and environments, you mostly just get <laughs> some shapes. Um, yeah. so not not too prevalent in Hercules. Absence of a parent, quite the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. because not only are his parents alive, he has two sets. He's mm-hmm. got Hera and Zeus, and he's got two very complicated Greek names I don't remember. Um, who are his like orphan parents for thirty for I would say eight to nine seconds in this movie before they swiftly move <laughs> on. Um, but they get a nice big house um, as a mm-hmm. result of Hercules' success, which I think was a nice touch to include that in the Zero to Hero song. Um, and all four parents stay alive, which <laughs> I can't think of any. Where not only are there more than two parents, but they're all living. Has Remar- this remarkable. happened before? I don't. <laughs> no, there's no way, and I don't think it's gonna happen again that someone has four living parents. Um, and the Disney death, <laughs> you you bet we get it, and it's quite dramatic, um, mm. and kind of like a long, strewn out process. Because first we get Meg like under a pillar, and it looks like she might be dead, and then we're pretty sure she is dead because we've got like Hercules and Phil looking around them sad. Also, Phil looks so much like Grumpy in this moment that um, <laughs> I was like, I, I literally wrote down he looks like one of the dwarfs, and then I realized that he was inspiration for Phil, and then it made even mm. more sense. Um, but then there's a whole other bit where she goes like into the um, underworld dead spirit thing. And let me just say, the undead spirits in Black Cauldron look better than the ones in Hercules. Fighting talk. And that was 12 <laughs> years before, so step it up. Um, but yeah, those are, um, those, are our, those are our themes. We do indeed get a glorious, we get a, kind of a, an extended Disney death with Meg where it appears like she's alive and then she's probably dead and then she's probably alive and then she's probably dead. But she does indeed live um, mm. to be a mortal with Hercules. And by yeah. I, when I say immortal, I mean a, a space mortal, not immortal. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they, they, <laughs> it's really it's a it feels different the Disney death because it becomes obviously then a big part of what makes Hercules turn back to being a god is that he was willing to sacrifice his life to save Meg. So this whole time we believe Meg to to be dead, and we're not sure that he's gonna do anything and and normally in a disney death we don't usually leave leave the scene and then come back to it but that's what happens here so it really drags it out in this like normally they're just dead or we think they're dead or asleep or whatever and we stay with them sometimes it's a few seconds sometimes a bit longer and then they come back but yeah it becomes like a whole thing in this so interesting and yeah it's I think we get it in the... I don't know if we get it in Mulan or not. I can't quite remember. But we've had a few iconic Disney deaths in the in the 90s. So they're very much... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Lean in on that trope as they, as they we're, always we're do. We're not done. There's, there's more to come. There is always more to come um, with the Disney death. But yeah, I, I think that's about it. Did you have anything final that you wanted to add on Hercules just as we're, as we're wrapping up? Um. It's it's interesting because it's a film that has so much like I loved this movie as a kid I devoured mm. those 
I devoured that movie. I ate everything that would go on a Hercules plate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's good. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is not great. It is not very good to me anyway. Um, and I think we, I explained quite a lot of, of what prevents it from being great or, or good. And it is to me, I think I enjoy it more than Rescuers Down Under, but I think they're pretty much tied at the bottom of the Renaissance for me. But hey, the Renaissance is pretty elite, so mm. it's not like it's a terrible movie. Yeah, there's there's stiff competition like just in this decade, but I I pretty much agree with you. I I do still really like it, and I think perhaps that's because I didn't. I've never like absolutely loved, adored, cherished this film. Like I said, mm. I did come to it a bit later so i think i've always just appreciated it for what it is which is fun and it certainly zips along at quite a pace i mean it's 90 minutes but it does not feel like it at all there's no real let up certainly in in the gags and in the action as well there's plenty happening all the time but i think that if you compare it to other films in the renaissance that maybe it isn't it isn't as strong but it's still pretty good and i do still like it and i can see myself rewatching this, you know, over the years as I do with all the others as well, and and still enjoying it. So, um, yeah, I think I think we're we're pretty much on the on the same page with this one. And um, yeah, we next week will uh be talking about Mulan, which as it stands is my current number one. So <laughs> I'm excited, but also a little bit scared. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have Do you have any like just quickly? Do you have any strong feelings towards Mulan either way, or are you uh, saving it's been that a for next while, week? A quite a long while, but as far as I know, I really like Mulan, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't expect that to change. Wouldn't it be fun if you like love it more than ever and I hate it more than ever? We'll see. It'll be oh fun. Gosh. I can't wait to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I I am fairly certain I'll love it. I'm not a hundred percent certain that it will re- remain as my number one, but we will see um yes so before we get out of here we of course want to say a huge thank you to our patreons um who support the podcast and uh all the other work that jump cut does as well and they are chris wilson let there be light productions zoe baines daryl griffiths sam luck orla smith peter hodgkins andy meekin fabiana rosas hamish calvert martin richmond and manuel bento so a big thank you to those guys a new name on there i don't know if you noticed it barry uh, my list getting longer and longer it's getting uh, exciting it sure is i have to take like two breaths now as i read out the list so that's <laughs> that is exciting um so of course a huge thank you to all of our patreons um who support us and you can find out how to become a patreon on jump cuts website and all the different tiers that you can support at and all the fun perks that you get as well so do go and check that out um, a huge thank you, Barry, as always, for being fabulous and wonderful company, talking about oh. another great Disney film. Um, so over to you to, uh, yeah, plug your your Twitter, your Letterboxd, uh, and anything else. Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at B Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T, and you can find, you can see just how many films I watched in 2020. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at B Levitt 93 so many i could never <laughs> um yeah i was in awe of your letterbox stats last year barry <laughs> um 
excited to see if that happens again this year but i don't know how you can i don't know how you can top that so uh, i hope i'll be busy enough that doesn't happen but we'll see i I hope so too but uh stay tuned (laughs) and you can find me on twitter i'm at sarah buttery and you can find all of us at jumpcast underscore you can check out all of our written reviews features interviews news and more at jumpcutonline.co.uk and go straight to jumpcutonline.co.uk forward slash jumpcast to find out where you can find all of our podcast episodes The next Jumpcast episode will be dropping on Monday and we'll be back with a brand new Disney episode next Friday. We'll see you then.